Well, good morning, church family and guests. It's so good to be with you and be at Radiant Life together. I absolutely love our Sunday mornings together. And um, man, I just love being able to just uh, worship with you all and get on stage and try to figure out God's word and, and make an ancient text relevant today because uh, God's truth is still alive and active and it's changing lives. And I believe in it through and through, and I love it. I love being able to dive into it with you, and that's what we're going to do. So welcome to part three of our Difficult People series, and uh, this has been a fun series. I think it's been fun for me because I love hearing from you guys, and I loved actually after first service, they had someone say, man, the last two weeks have hit home. I'm skipping next week, and uh, which is like... Well, don't do that, but uh, like that's awesome that God's moving on your heart and just tugging and, and growing. And I always find it interesting. One or two things happens with me in this series. Either number one, uh, the person that I'm talking about, the people that we're talking about uh, that Sunday, either I run into them like that week or right after the message. So like we talked week one of critical people. It's like, wow, yeah, I had to deal with a bunch of like, neg I ran into negative people right after that message. You'd be like, ah, how am I supposed to live this out again or whatever? But uh, it's been awesome. It's been fun. Next week we wrap it up. But real quick, some of you, you're sitting on this card that Pastor Brandon just talked about, right? This is dangerous. A church unleashed in two weeks from today. We kick off this brand new series, and what I love about this series is what does it look like to be a church that's unleashed? And that's why we've called it Dangerous, and I want you to know there are four streams of water, and that's the foundation of what kicks us off next week, or in two weeks, I'm sorry, in two weeks, because we're going to understand four streams of water, and God, oh man, I'm getting excited about it, all right? Here's the thing, just invite someone. That's why they're here, invite. Some of you are here because of this. Some of you got saved because of this, and I had a salvation message that day. Some of you have been baptized and serving in a changemaker role somewhere in our church because of this card. And can I say, real quick, I want to call you out, Mr. Brandon Fish, who should be sitting there, and he's out in the lobby already. The guy that you saw in that video, the reason why he's even here today is because his wife, Katie, got these from two of you. And now they're here, that was years ago, right? How many years, two? It's almost three years ago, right? Invited her, she came, she came, come, came, whatever, she got here. And uh, <laughs> in the midst of it, uh, her husband didn't want anything to do with it, stayed at home, and then he came, and he's getting saved and baptized, and now he's our lead trustee. Come on now, isn't that awesome? But it starts, absolutely, but it starts here. A simple invite. So why do we give you it two weeks in advance? Because number one, we try to give it you two weeks in advance because now you got all this week to pray about who am I inviting. And then next week, next Sunday, you're going to forget where you placed your card. And so we'll have more for you. And then you can actually do the inviting. All right. That's how it goes. But if you need more, they're out in the lobby. They're all out there. Hey, real quick. Also next week, um, as I wrap up difficult people, uh, I'm going to give you guys a come alive update because we got some good news that happened on Friday and it's going to move and groove and that construction wall is going to be coming down soon and uh, just temporary tape will go across it so we can't, but I'll give you the whole timeline now and it's moving and grooving. We'll be in there before you know it. It's just going to be awesome space. So um, just for my language, because I'm going to start changing my language so you know our existing lobby that it's always been our lobby since the day that this church was built in 89. Uh, We're now calling that the inner lobby. And the reason why is because that big honking space is our big lobby, okay? And so that 
inner lobby there, you guys have seen it, maybe not, but that big circle metal thing that's in there, that is to drop like mousetrap on wild kids so we can enclose and trap the kids in there. Not really. Um, what, what's, some of you actually said, aw, wow. Hashtag difficult people, I know. Um, but one thing cool is if you notice, like we had to get fire suppression everywhere. And so a lot of those lines are running in that ceiling now and we don't want to see that. So we're going to take a, you're going to get a little bit of a drop down ceiling in there. And then that circle allows it to feel a little bit bigger and open up and they'll have cool lights hanging out and an LED strip light in there. So just, it's there. So you'll see it when it starts getting boarded up, it'll start making sets and be like, oh, that's cool. That's what that's there for. So there you go. Hey. Week one, we talked in difficult people, we talked critical people. And if you want to get it, all of our messages are now online. We had some technical difficulties, but they're all online now. Week one, critical people, dealing with negative people in our lives. Last week, um, we talked, uh, uh, one that I think touched, because I got a lot of comments on this one, of just controlling people and manipulative people, of people that are in our lives that, you know, we're, we're the puppet. And they're the puppeteer, and we didn't realize how much controlling people have, and how do we love them without hurting, and how do we get out of it, and not hurting ourselves, and all that. Next week, as I wrap up this series, next week, don't miss it. We're going to talk about hypocritical people. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this, is, this may be your view, and that's, that's fine. Just in general, the culture looks at churches and say they're a bunch of hypocrites, that's the number one thing that they think about followers of Jesus, hypocrites. Can I just tell you, the church is not for saints. It's a bunch of sinners in needing of grace. That's what the church of Christ is. And so, hey, we're, we don't got it all together. Hey, when you're rich in, rich in people, we don't want to rich people. Well, that would be nice. But when you're reaching people, church is going to get a little more messy. But that's exactly where I see Jesus in the mess of his culture, Right? The woman, the prostitute, where no one else, everyone wants to stay away from her. Where do we see Jesus? Right there ministering to her. Right? The woman caught in adultery, first and foremost, where's the guy that that was happening? Right? They picked out the woman. Why don't we want to stone the guy? That's a whole other topic. But what did Jesus? Everyone's getting ready to stone her, but what did Jesus say? Hey, Jesus comes. The tax collector that everyone hated. Right? You hated because he ripped you off. What does Jesus come? Hey, I know everyone else hates you. Come follow me. Come follow me. So yeah, we don't get it all the time. And we mess up. But we want the Holy Spirit to just to reach in and, and, and chip away things that just doesn't look like Jesus. And for some of us, it may take a little bit longer. For others of us, it happens really quick. And bless God for both. But we just need to be Jesus to people and allow people to say, hey, we've messed up. But we all need grace. I'm going to preach this message right now, hypocritical people. All right, but we're not going to. We're going to talk this week. It's next week, so come back next week. We're going to talk about needy people. Now, I need to have a caveat right here, okay? Because as followers of Jesus, we should have a heart for needy people, right? You see Jesus going on the outside and helping those in need. I'm not talking about those that just need um, a little thing, like those that, um, hey, they may need groceries and God bless, go, go bless them, right? I'm not talking about those needy people that just, you're every day, because we're called to look out for the hurting, the broken, the orphans, the widows, um, those that are in jail. Jesus even says, look out for them. Those are needy people. We're not talking about those people because we should have a heart for them. We should have a heart for all people. But what this message is going to narrow focus is the, what I would call, overly needy people. These are the people 
that when you see them, you know, oh Lord, I do not have 45 minutes to talk to this person. That person, the person that just seems like drama and crisis has a target on them. And they're constantly in drama and crisis. And you're always sitting there going, Lord, God help them. Because this is what overly needy people feel. Like they're just stuck in the mud. And you feel like, I want to help you. But why do you always find yourself back into that situation? Overly needy people may tend to dominate. Uh, your conversations and your time. And all of a sudden, you're doing things for these overly needy people, but it never seems to be enough for them. And you're constantly going, my goodness, Lord Jesus, you need to come and take this person either out of my life or something else, all right? But that's not our response. We want to know, how do we love them? How do we love them in a way that doesn't hurt them, but lifts them up at the same time it doesn't hurt us, and we can live out our, our mission and our vision that Jesus has for us? And um, I want to have two conversations. Number one, we're going to talk about attention that we live in with, with overly needed people. There's attention because of Jesus, and it's awesome. We'll step into that. And number two, then I'm going to give us three ways of how do we love and lift up needy people that we can put into practice, okay? That's where we're going this morning. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to talk about the tension and it, this can be, I'm going to simplify it, but I understand it can be so, excuse me, so complicated. Overly needy people have. But here's the tension that you and I live in. Here's part one of the tension. And it goes this, that Jesus cared more than anyone who has ever lived. I think we would all agree with that. That Jesus cared more than anyone. Jesus cares more about people than probably every single one of us combined in this room right? Even your saint grandma that loves Jesus, Jesus cares more about people than probably even she did. And in fact, you get this story in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It begins this way. It says this, when he saw the crowds, referring to Jesus, he felt what, friends? Compassion. Watch this. He saw, he felt, because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. So we're given this word here that what Jesus says is, this is example. Remember, Jesus cared deeply about people. And we, he feels this compassion. And I started to look up like, what kind of compassion is this? Because I have compassion. I like to at least think I have compassion for people. And so here we're given this word in the English, compassion. In the Newer Testament, it's written in Greek. But Greek has a very limited language. How many words are in their language? Right? The Greek and Hebrew about 4,000 words. The English, 400,000 words we have. So I often view the ancient text as Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament, the original languages they were written. It's like an overstuffed suitcase. Every word is packed with meaning. It's just packed. And so I looked up the Greek. What is this compassion that Jesus is feeling? And here's, here's the Greek word. It's a fun word. It's called splachnon, um, right? You got to hack a loogie and spit on your neighbor's face, back of their head. And let's, let's practice it, right? Just cover your head right now. Ready? Let's practice it. You could just say anything and you'll, we'll think you're speaking Greek, all right? Ready? One, two, three. Yep, exactly like that, right? And here's what it means. Here's the overstuffed suitcase. This is the compassion that Jesus has on people. It means this, from the intestines or bowels. An inward affection of sympathy. Do you see how deep that is? When Jesus is experiencing that 
kind of compassion that comes from the intestines or bowels. And I was sitting there going, I love that because I don't have that compassion. The only things that comes out of my intestines or bowels, you don't want to know about. Yet Jesus, in the midst of it, he's experiencing this great inner affection and sympathy for people. And so now with those lenses, we read, we read this, is that when he saw the crowds, he felt this, you could say, deep, deep anguish or sympathy for them. Why? Because they were distressed and dejected. We know that Jesus cared more than anyone who ever lived. But here's the tension. And we're called to do that. But the tension is, Jesus did not heal everyone or grant every request. And that's the tension. We're called to love and care for people deeply, but at the same time realizing Jesus never fulfilled everyone's need, dream, desire, did not heal everyone that asked for healing. So how do you, as you and I, deal with overly needed people? How do we love them and care for them like we see Jesus? But how do we realize I can't be their answer? I can't heal everything. I can't do everything they want me to do. And that's the tension of overly needy people if we're going to live like Jesus to them. So I'm going to give you three ideas, three ways that how do we help without hurting the overly needed and without hurting you? Here's number one. Give what they need, not what they want, friends. Give what they need, not what they want. Do you know most of the time we give with emotions? We give to either because it makes us feel good, a story tugged our heart, so we give that way, and that releases kind of guilt on our own life, but we give emotionally. You got to ask the question, not what, not what do they want, but what do they really need? What will really help? Here's a story found in Acts chapter 3. Uh, the church, Jesus has gone back to heaven. He was dead. He buried. He, reas- uh, he ascended to the disciples. He was talking to them for 40 more days. Jesus goes back to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes on people, and the birth of the church happened. And here you have two disciples, Peter and John, and they, they're going, I love this, they're going to the temple, and they're going to go just worship, right? I mean, the temple's uh, back in the ancient world, it's, it's church. They're going to church, and um, a guy, lame at birth, is sitting there begging for money at the temple, by the temple. And here we pick up, Acts chapter 3, verse 5, or verse 3 begins this way. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, referring to the guy that's lame, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him. As did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them attention, expecting to get something from them. Now pause there. What is he expecting to get from them? Money. That's what he's doing day after day, begging for money. Probably got his little coin jar, begging for money. He's lame. And when we give emotionally, emotional giving has brought this guy wherever his home is to the temple to beg every day. So emotional giving picks him up, carries him to sit here. So day after day, he can sit there and beg for money. What I realize is sometimes overly needy people will realize if they shout loud enough and they are constant with their ask, they may get what they want. 
And here he is at the temple, give me money, give me money, give me money. And Peter and John show up and said, look at us. And he did, expecting, yes, money. And the story continues. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. You know what overly needy people need? They don't need your hand out. They need you a hand up. At church, we get a lot of people asking for money. Uh, it just happens. For whatever reason, people think church has just an endless amount of bank that we can go into and just give money all the time. And we don't always have that, but we love to help where we can. Oftentimes, during the winter months, one of the main requests we get is, can you pay for my electric bill? Which, deeply desire, we should help, right? Uh, pay for your electric bill. My gosh, it's, you need your heat on in your house to warm it. You got kids, you got all this, like, absolutely. That's what they want. But what you realize is they come back the next month asking for, can you pay my electric bill? To us, I sit there and go, we're, getting, we're giving what they want, not what they need. And then what we realize is there's a systemic financial problem. You just ain't good at handling your money. So guess what we have at Radiant Life? We have financial coaches ready to coach people. So in order, what you really need is financial coaching so you don't get into the system of constantly every month asking for money to pay your electric bill. Does that make sense? So what we want to do is give the handout, because I don't want you guys to freeze to death, but I want to give you what you actually need. Let me introduce you to a financial coach that can go everything and help you get on your feet so you can succeed in life. And many times, we, you may run into those people. They're going to ask this question. If you, do not, if you do not give what they need, you may hear this often. If you really love me, you will give me blank. Hear my heart. If an overly needy person tells you that, what you need to do is pray, Holy Spirit, what should I do in this moment? And say, the most loving thing to do is what the Holy Spirit has told me to do. It may not be what you want, but the Holy Spirit has revealed to me what I'm supposed to do, what you need in this moment. Give what they need, not what they, what friends? I mean, I want a million dollars, I'll be honest. The Lord knows I don't need it. I want it. It'll be fun for about a year. Well, Lord willing, it would last longer than that, but who knows, right? Hey, let's give a hand up, not just a hand out. Let's give a hand up, not just a hand out. Here's number two. You give what they need, not what they want, but that's healthier for them. They just don't know it yet. They just don't know it yet. Here's number two. You got to set healthy boundaries. Set healthy boundaries. Okay, Ryan, what boundaries are we talking about? Let me give you two major ones with overly needy people. Time and resources. You got to set boundaries with time, and you got to set boundaries with your resources. Let me bring you to an illustration. You have three overly needy people in your life. This is you because you're filled up, right? You, here, here's my prayer every morning. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. 
You're filled for the morning, right? You're, you're feeling good. You, got, you, you had your Jesus and coffee right there, man. You are ready to take on the world. Then you go to work. And that overly needy coworker hits you up. And you're like, my goodness, this coworker is constantly fishing for compliments. Either they have a very large ego or they're hurting deeply. One of the two is happening. But they meet you at the water cooler and you feel it's appropriate because, you know, it's kind of touching your heartstrings. You're going you're gonna to give yourself a little bit away so that you can at least help them. So you give a, give a little bit and say, Lord Jesus, take care of them because I can't. All right. Give them to you. I did my part. But then you have this awesome boss. And this awesome boss is extremely needy, not just with works things, but in general in life. And it's almost like you're acting like their counselor. And you're like, I'm not, I don't get paid to counsel you. But you want to be Jesus to them. And so you give a, you give a, little, bit of, a little bit of time and resources maybe to, the, to him or her because they need it. They're hurting or something. They just seem overly needy. And you say, oh, Lord Jesus, bless them as well. Because, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this day and day. And then you get home. And this is your spouse, your kids, your neighbor that you're supposed to be loving, but you don't because that dog always comes on your yard and you does the you-know-what that you got to clean up now. That's this. And they seem extremely needy, always asking. Feel like the drama queen or the drama king. Feels like the financial leech that just can't get on their own. And this one takes a little more than the other two. And you spend so much time with this person and you're feeling, feeling, say, God, just do something now. But this person keeps running back and you're like, oh, okay, I'll help again. I'll help again. And finally, what before you've helped your three overly needed people in your life, but what are you? You're empty. Can I just talk to those of you that are just innately helpers? Lean in in this moment. To be Jesus, it is helping people. But Jesus also had a rhythm of helping people. He would teach, and he would heal people, and he would go around city to city, and all of a sudden there are times where he just stops and gets away with his heavenly Father and gets filled up. Helpers, lean in. Lean in on this moment. In order to keep giving out, you've got to stop and fill up. There are moments where you have to pull away and say, I love you. I want to help. Yes, you're overly needed. Yes, you are totally hashtag difficult people. But I'm not healthy. And if I'm not healthy, I can't make you healthy. I got to stop and pull away. In Mark chapter one, this is what happens. Jesus just launched his ministry. He's healing left and right. People are hearing him and understanding who he is. And all of a sudden, we get this little glimpse after Jesus did all this cool stuff. In Mark chapter one, verse 35, it reads this way. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In other words, that's been a busy day. I was giving myself over and over, and I just got to get up early in the morning. While it was still dark, because guess what? People are going to want me, want me, want me. I just need to get away and be with my Heavenly Father right now. Listen, some of you may have to do that. And then two of his disciples come. Simon and his other disciples come, and they went to look for him. Jesus, where are you? Yesterday was really good. You healed people. You were doing awesome stuff. We need you. There's more healing to do. 
There's more teaching to go teach. And all of a sudden, when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. What are you doing? We need you. Hurry up. And I understand, I feel like a mom understands this really well. You moms, you're just trying to get five minutes alone in the bathroom. Shut that door. Please, Lord, five minutes. And not 30 seconds into your own silence, little fingers start to go underneath that door. And you're like, dear God. And big fingers come under the door, and it's your husband too. I need you. <laughs> we get it. There's overly needy people. But in order for you to pour into them, listen, you got to set healthy boundaries. You have to. We see Jesus do it. There are times where he's so feeding in and loving on people and the needy, he also sits there and goes, time out. Let me get alone with my heavenly father right now. I need to be filled up. Hey, I don't know if you've been on an airplane or not. Uh, when you get to go on an airplane and they're pulling you out of your terminal, ter terminal and you're getting ready to take off, you know, all the flight attendants do their whole safety spiel. No one listens to it, right? I just when I flew back from Tampa, I never realized this, but they also, they say, hey, at this moment, grab that little safety thing out from in front of you and follow along. And I decided, because I normally don't listen to them, uh, I took off my headphones and I was like, I want to see if anyone in this airplane's looking at this thing. You know how many people were looking at that? No one. But the one thing that's very important now, two things are important what they say. You got to know where the exits are. That's pretty important if the plane's crashing. It may not matter, but um, you may need to know where the exits are. And number two, uh, if the plane gets into trouble, oxygen masks drop down from the ceiling. And what they always say is put yours on first before you help another person. That's what we got to do. You got to put your oxygen mask on, say, Holy Spirit, fill me every single day so I can love people well. Fill me. I got to put it on in order to be healthy and safe so I can pour myself into others. Set healthy boundaries. And here's number three. Warning. It is the most difficult one to do. The other two, okay, I can, I can give what they need, not necessarily what they want. I can figure that out. I can set healthy boundaries. This one's a little tough. Because this is where love really comes in. And hang in with me. Please hang in with me. Overly needy people. Number three, love them enough to let them face consequences. Let me repeat. Please, love them enough. I didn't say write them off and let them deal with it. Love them enough to let them face their consequences. God is a loving God. And there are times where we get off his path and he lovingly says, you got to get back on. But unfortunately, you live in a broken world and there is consequences to things. And in fact, here's what the region of Galatia had a bunch of churches and Paul's writing to this region and we get the letter Galatians. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter six, verse seven. It reads this way. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he, what friends? What he sows. And then Paul's not done. He says, I got more on that. By the way, 
Whoever sows to please their flesh from flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Think about the story. If you grew up in church, you know the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son basically went to dad and said, dad, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. What did the dad do? Here you go, son. And we're actually going to unpack this story in about a month from now, even deeper. What did the son do? Went to a place, we don't know where, and he lived it up. He partied, had a woo, good old time. But then he went broke. Then he finds himself eating pig slop. But what'd the father do? He was always there. I wondered if the father went out to the end of his farm every day, looking way out there, pleading with God, God, and may my son come back. May my son Come back every day, over and over. And finally, after the son faced his consequences, what happened? The son came running home, and the father wraps his arms around him, says, I love you, son, you're home. And turns to his servant, says, let's party. The son's come back. Can I talk to you parents for a minute? Hear my heart, because I love you. Rescuing isn't always helping. It's not. Hey, your son and daughter is at college, partying it up, living it up every single night of the week, and you see their grades go boop, 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 boom. They may need to lose their scholarship. They may need to. And if they do, you'll be there right there to love them and restore them back. There may be a person in your life that's constantly wait late to work. They need sleep. God, don't we all, right? But you're late every single day. Lean in. They may need to lose their job. And you're sitting there running that credit card debt. Spend, spend. You're running it up. Up, 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 up. But you're behind on your mortgage. Hear my love in this. You may need to get evicted for a wake-up call. And God can do that and use those things to shake you up to who he is. And the hard thing about this last one is sometimes we love people so much. It's our heart. We love them. We don't want them to see the face of consequences. But sometimes it's the healthiest thing for them. Think about you. You deserve the cross. You deserve it. But God says, my son, as much as it tore him to see Jesus, his son on that cross, to face the consequences of our sin, he still had his son go through it to redeem us, to buy us back. So you may be here this morning Sitting there going, Ryan, I still can't stand those overly needy people. I can't. Drama kings, drama queens, financial leeches, they're just, get them away. Hear this. That needy people are not projects we help. They're people we love. And God still cares for them deeply, and they are his children. So let's love them back. And you may be here this morning also sitting back, 
different people in your life, but my people, they're unlovable and almost unbearable. I pray for them, I get on my knees, I pray for them, but the problem is I'm praying them out of my life. <laughs> I may have done that. But hey, don't ever forget this, everyone. This is for all of us. Don't ever forget this when it comes to the overly needy. Don't forget this, please. It's only difficult to love a needy person when you forget how much you need Jesus. Because we need each other. We need to be in community where there's healing. There need to be community that, yes, we're all broken, but more than ever, I need you. So when that needy person comes up to me, I'll never forget. God, help me to love them well. Because I realize how much I need you.